That's right. Yeah, if you have kids that um, just, you know, who can blame them? Who wants to sit through a sermon, right? So uh, if they... Um, uh, if they are, yeah, like zero through five years old, um, they are welcome to go with Miss Becky, and she will, will take good care of them uh, during our, our second hour. Um, also, if you'd like to, if you just love kids and um, would like to volunteer um, to help out with second hour, would, if you are a youth um, through an adult, we would love to have you in, involved with that, and you can just see Becky, and she'll help you uh, know how to get connected um, with that. So um, just two more things before we, we start uh, look at the word this morning. Um, one, we started our first Monday service last Monday um, at 9.30, and it was awesome. Like, we had a, a great uh, group of people here. A few folks from Milton Hershey came out, which is awesome. A few of you came out, uh, which is really cool. And um, we are basically going to mirror this service on, on Monday morning for folks who can't be here on a Sunday. And so we're very excited about that. Um, and uh, just really thankful. So keep praying for them, and we, we're, we're going to try to seek ways to, um, to really have there be some crossover there, because we'd love for you to meet those folks, because we are like one church, just at two different times, so um, we're going we're gonna to work on that, but if you can ever come out on a Monday morning, we'd love to have you. Um, you can meet some of the folks from the Monday service, and just let them know how glad we are to have them. So, And also, um, we're doing a youth cookout this Friday at 6 o'clock at the Herbs House. Um, Adrian right here is, and, and Alan, her husband, are going to host that for us. But they would love to know how many youth are going to be there so they know how much food to have. So if your youth is going to participate, if you could see myself or Adrian this morning and let us know, um, uh, or at some point throughout this week, we would really love to know so we can, we can plan on them. Um, all right. Well, we are starting a series in the book of Colossians today. So if you have a Bible, you can, can open up to Colossians. If you don't know where that is, it's okay. Um, you would just um, want to go towards the back of your Bible. And um, there's like um, Galatians and Philippians and Ephesians. You're going to see them, not necessarily in that order. Uh, um, and then you're going to come to Colossians. Um, and if you really have trouble finding it, Go to your table of contents in the beginning of your Bible, and it'll tell you what page number it's on. That's a great way to get there. Um, but we're, we're going to look at um, some of the first chapter, not the entire thing this morning, um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to start, start there today. Um, I'm just looking at my notes, and I wrote a sermon at the top, and it's S-E-R-M-O-O-N. <laughs> that's... Uh, that's some really bad spelling. That's some really bad spelling. So, uh, but um, anyway, so this is our first week, and you know, given that it's the first week, I thought it might be helpful for us um, to just kind of understand a little bit of the background and context of the book of Colossians. So we're going to start there this morning, um, and to do that, we're going to read um, verses one and two, um, and and this is what what Paul writes. He says, Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. You know what, maybe I, maybe I could pray for us and then we'll, we'll talk about this a bit. Father, we thank you for the brothers and sisters in Colossae. We, we thank you for Paul and Timothy. Um, we, we, we just, we thank you that we are a part of a body um, that goes beyond our town, um, that goes beyond our time, and um, in fact will continue on 
into eternity that will never end. Um, And Lord, this morning, as we begin to study Paul's letter to the Colossian church, we would humbly ask that the power of your Spirit would be moving in such a way that we would get to know you better, that you would open not just our physical eyes and our physical minds, but you would open the eyes of our heart and that you would help us to, to know you through the power of your Spirit in a miraculous way that we couldn't do without you. And um, that we would be equipped through that, through the knowledge and understanding that we gain um, to better serve you and to love those who are far from you and to, to love and serve your church, Father. So um, this time is yours. Uh, we are yours. Um, and uh, we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, in the first verses, Paul Paul basically says, hey, it's me, Paul, and Timothy's here with me, and we're writing to you, Colossians, brothers and sisters, men and women, um, believers in Christ who are living in the city of Colossae. And um, so, what, who is this, what is Colossae? Who, who is this people? Well, um, several years ago, my family and I went on a mission trip to Lynch, Kentucky. I'm not sure if you ever heard of Lynch, Kentucky. I one of you is shaking your head, but most of you are not, which is probably really helpful for me with this illustration. So um, Lynch, Kentucky, is, um, is it was a once bustling um, town in western Kentucky during the 1940s. A lot of money flowed through Lynch. Um, it was because it was a central coal mining town in Kentucky. Uh, and But however, when, when the coal mining kind of dwindled, uh, when we needed less coal, less was, and, and when it become when coal mining became mechanized, um, the town just kind of diminished. And at its peak, the town was home to more than 10,000 residents, but today it has less than 600. And um, I, I mentioned Lynch because Lynch's story is, is much Colossi's story. Colossae was a town um, once located on the eastern side of modern-day Turkey. And into the the 5th and 4th centuries B.C., the town was an important town for commerce and wealth um, because a a central road went through it. However, at one point, um, the government decided to move the road. And so they moved it from from Colossae to outside of Colossae. And when that happened... When the roads were rerouted, much like Lynch, Kentucky, it lost its prominence as a, a trade and, and commerce hub and, um, because all those things followed the road. And Colossae eventually just kind of eroded to a no-name town with really nothing to offer in a very small population in, in what is modern-day Turkey. One commentator has even mentioned that Colossae was the least important to which a city to which any epistle that Paul ever addressed. It was just, it was hard to overstate um, the lack of importance Colossae possessed during its time. It's a small town, somewhat forgotten by the world at the time of this letter. The beautiful thing is and was that the, the church there was still important to God. And, and its value continues to be important to us today as believers. 
Now, there's no proof of this, but many scholars believe that the church in Colossae was likely established while Paul trained church leaders and church planters during his time in Ephesus. That's in Acts 19 if you want to go back and read it. But he likely sent out church planters from Ephesus to several towns and around there, Colossae being one of them. And as such, Colossae was formed. And, and Epaphras, who is mentioned in, in Colossians and will be mentioned today, uh, is likely the leader that went there to establish the church in this, in this little town. Um, the book is generally recognized to be written by Paul. He actually states his name here in the first verse. Um, and it's, it's just generally believed. And it's also generally believed that he wrote this while he was imprisoned. He actually um, mentioned that he does it while he was in, in chains. and um, So Paul was likely in, in prison, which I think is a, an interesting fact. Um, I was talking with a youth about this this morning. When something doesn't go your way, how many of you oftentimes, maybe like me, throws your hands in the air and say, okay, what's the point? I'm just giving up, right? So Paul is like in prison, probably heading toward his death, and he continues to write letters and minister to the church never throwing his hands in the air, never giving up. And, and, and he, he found his job so important <laughs> that he even wrote to little no-name town churches like Colossae. Like I, I just, it's a side note. It really doesn't have much bearing on what we're going to talk about today in the context of this first chapter, but I just think it's amazing and a great testimony to us that we are never to give up. That we are never to stop working for the Lord. It does not matter what our circumstances is. God has something for us to do. And this letter is a testimony to that. So anyway, why did Paul write this letter? Like, What, what was his purpose? Well, it seems that he's writing this, this book to the Colossian church because he had heard from this guy Epaphras and it says it in verse 1-8, we'll read it in a bit, but that the church had begun to follow some teaching or some philosophy that in some way ran counter what was true in Christ. And they started to follow these ways that are not in line with the hope of Jesus, and so they're being led astray. And Paul's basically writing them to say, hey, 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 Jesus needs to be important. In fact, we'll see as one scholar has noted that Paul throughout the book of Colossians communicates this primary theme, and it is this, the absolute supremacy and soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That he and he alone is most important. It's kind of like what we were, were talking about a little bit earlier today with Abraham. Nothing, nothing can be more important to God. And that's what, what Paul is trying to communicate to this little church in Colossae. And that, I hope that's what, what we see about, above all other topics and issues that come up as we, as we work through this, this book. That Christ is for us supreme. That Christ needs to be everything. That He is all important. That He is all sufficient. That without Him we have nothing, but with Him we have everything. He can be ignored. Christ can be ignored. We can come in here every week and we can sing songs and we can listen to a sermon and we can give money and we can still ignore Jesus. But we only ever do that 
to our detriment, not to our benefit. Much, much like oxygen or food or water that can be neglected, Christ is kind of similar. Like, if we neglect those, eventually we die. And the, the same thing is true with Christ. If we neglect him, we are dead. But with him, we have life. And that's what I hope we take away most from our time in this book. That in all of creation, and all of life, Jesus is most important. So, um, so let's see... Um, Let's let's look at some of this this book. We're gonna we're gonna start in verse three and we're gonna try to get through verse fourteen today. Um, that's kind of ambitious, but we're gonna we're gonna try. Um, Tim was like, I was talking to him after we went through the book of Ruth, and he said, I was so amazed that you did a chapter a week because normally you do like three verses. Like so uh, so we're gonna try to be ambitious and take some chunks and, and and kind of move through by themes as as we kind of work through the the book of of Colossians, but. Um, why don't we, and actually I'm going to read it as we go. So rather than reading all of those verses 3 through 14, we're going to, we're going to read chunks at a time and then and talk about them. So, so Paul opens the body of this letter by explaining to Colossians that he's been thanking God for them. And he says it this way in verses 3 to 5. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. So, why does Paul thank God for the Colossians? Um, when, when we go to someone's house and we're there for a few minutes and they kindly offer us something to drink. Would you like a glass of water? Or would you like a glass of, um, if you're in our house, sweet tea? Uh, some of other Pennsylvania houses, it's just unsweetened tea, which I don't understand at all. But um, So it's, it's tea. Would you like a glass of tea? Or would you like a Coke? And, and they, you say yes, and they, they hand you one. And what do you say in response to that? Thank you. You say thank you. That's exactly right. And if you don't, your mother is very disappointed. Um, so we thank that person because they have provided for a need that we had. Um, Dottie and I have a friend. She and her husband have a daughter in the hospital right now. And um, she um, had been like just very, very sick for a week. And they took her to the doctor. The doctor sent her to the emergency room. They've kept her there for several days. And they're treating her. And it's kind of, it was like really... It's really hard because they didn't know what was going on at first, and she was just very, very sick. And there was really nothing they could do to fix her, like the parents. And so as soon as the doctor started to kind of get a grasp on what was happening and started some procedures to, to correct the issues that she was dealing with, what do you think they said to those doctors? Thank you. Because their daughter, for all of ten- intensive purposes, was dying. And they saved their little girl. And I'm, I'm sure their thanks went way beyond just a thank you. Like you, you, you they probably would hug the doctors and, and the nurses and with tears in their eyes express with many words their gratitude for what they have done. Because he, they had supplied an answer to an acute need that they had in their life. Similarly, Paul thanks God 
for what he has supplied to the Colossian church. Specifically in verses 3 to 5, Paul thanks God that he has supplied the Colossian church with faith, love, and hope. It's interesting. We hear about these in other parts of the New Testament, particularly Paul's letters, uh, and one that's very familiar um, in, Col- or in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, Paul mentions those three as well. But as much as Epaphras, who probably or likely carried the gospel to, to this, this small church in Colossae, or, or Paul himself have, have worked for the Colossians, and all that they had, had done, comparatively, they'd done nothing for the Colossian church in comparison to what God has done for the Colossian church. In fact, even what they did, what they taught, the encouragement and prayer that they offered was supplied by God. So Paul's like natural reaction, his, his natural go-to is to thank God for them. Because he knows he did nothing. God has done everything. And so, he's, as I mentioned, he's thanking God for their faith in Jesus, the love they have for all the people, and the hope that God uh, has done uh, this great work in, in their lives and that he has supplied them in Jesus. And um, certainly there are other wonderful blessings that he could have given thanks for, but, but he chooses these three. And so I, I want to just kind of flesh out what they, they are um, for us this morning because he, he highlights them. So the first thing he, he, he thanks them for is faith, which is very interesting. Um, Paul thanks God for their faith. And I'm going to be honest, this is one that I, I have trouble explaining. Um, but truth of the matter is, faith is a gift from God. Um, it's something we didn't earn. Oftentimes we'll say to one another, um, or I'll, I'll say, I have faith in Jesus. right? Or um, my faith or your faith has saved you. And I, we understand the sentiment, but at the end of the day, that probably isn't totally true. Because as much faith as you can muster, it's not enough. On our own, we don't have the faith we need. And Peter says it this way. In 1 Peter, he says, uh, it says uh, in verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of, G- to G- of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter again, he says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and known was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as all of you can see. Faith comes from God. It's not something that we just muster on our own. And because of that, it's a, it's a gift. The word for faith in the Greek is pistis, um, which means committed to or trusts in another person. Specifically here, it's used in relation to Jesus. Even the faith to trust in and be committed to Jesus is a gift, Paul says. I don't know exactly how that works, but we know it to be true. Then he says, he talks about love. And he says that the love that they have for others and for the church is something for which Paul gives thanks. And and I can honestly say that love, I think really pure love, is only available through the work and power of God. 
Um, this isn't something that I think we can muster with enough strength or um, to offer by, by means of some great affection or, or something that we can evidence through a significant sacrifice that we make. Um, we get glimpses of this type of love sometimes in this world, but it's just a glimpse. It's just a partial expression of the fullness of love that God can, can provide. You know, I, I may have used this illustration before, um, but, you know, sometimes I'll be like, man, I, um, I'm going to go do the dishes so Dottie doesn't have to do them. And so I go in and I, I do the dishes. You know, I, it's big sink full dishes, and I do them all. I empty the dishwasher first because it hadn't been emptied. I mean, no condemnation, guys. But, like, I empty the dishwasher, then I take all the dishes, I rinse them off, because I know Dottie loves her dishes rinsed before they go in the dishwasher. Um, and so I rinse them all off, and I, I get them in there, and I close it up, and I put the little tab in, I close it, and I do it, and, and then I start it, and then I just sit there and I wait for her to come in the kitchen. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm doing this because I want to serve her, but I'm just waiting and then she comes in, and we start talking for a little while, and I'm kind of like leaning on the counter where it is, and I'm like, you know, right right there, right there, and drawing as much attention without drawing attention to it as I can. Because at the end of the day, this good deed that I'm doing for her is done in part because of something I want. It's not a perfect love. It's not a perfect sacrifice. It's marred by my sin. And I think if all of us are to be honest, that's pretty much true of everything we do. Like there's some little bit of every good thing, every loving thing that we do that has some, some taint to it. None of it is perfect. But with God, something we are capable of something different. We are, are, are capable of loving to a different degree that we can't do on our own. This, the Greek word here for, for love is agape. And it it implies a caring love, the love that counts no sacrifice too great for the one that is loved. And it's interesting that that the Colossians express this love to one another and the rest of the church because John quotes Jesus as saying in John 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Paul describes this, this type of love Um, through the love that a husband is commanded to have for his wife, that husbands are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for All agape, again, same type of love. Christ most fully expressed his deep love for the church through his death. That's agape love. And that type of love is only able to be achieved in Christ. And so Paul thanks God for the Colossians being able to love in that way because he knows that they couldn't do it on their own. And then he thanks them, finally, for, for hope, and that they have been gifted or blessed with hope. And, and hope is an expectation of something. Something is coming. And specifically here, and typically in the New Testament, it's used in an expectation of good, especially in regard to eternity. Um, and, and Paul says that their hope is tied to what they and we actually have stored up for them in heaven in verse 5. It's a permanent, forever life with God in a place of perfection, peace, tranquility, joy, fun. Yes, believe it or not, fun. And probably not 
and, and not probably, and not in any way plagued by sin. Hope, this type of hope is different from the way that we typically use hope. When we use hope, we, the girls went to a birthday party yesterday, and um, I'm sure the, the girl that was we were celebrating was hoping to get certain things for her birthday. Like, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. And that type of hope is like a desire, a wish. Like you, but you, you don't know if it's actually going to happen. The Christian hope is wholly different. Christian hope is an anticipation of something that is inevitably going to happen. There's no if, ands, ors, or buts about it. It is happening. And um, that's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, and, and, and it's a hope of something great, of something amazing, of this life of perfection with God. And we just can't buzz past this. Um, our hope is incredibly important, um, but I think sometimes it's just it's neglected, right? Um, I heard Ravi Zacharias speaking this week, and he made the comment that there's generally more hope in places of poverty than in places of great affluence. And there's this author by the name of Jack Higgins, and he's, he's a successful British author. But he was once asked what he wished he had known before he was successful, like when he was a child, and uh, like when he had no success at all. And he responded, he said, that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Wealth, power, popularity, ease of life all foster an attitude of comfort, complacency, self-sufficiency, and worst of all, spiritual neglect. While we may speak with words of dependence and desire towards God, oftentimes our lifestyles, when we're in a place of affluence, tell a different spiritual story. But in places of poverty... The veil of social and financial security are not available. So oftentimes, in those locations, um, they can't provide for themselves, so they have to look to someone else, to something else to provide for them. And, And because there's nothing here to blind them, nothing in this life, they are constantly hoping for the better that is to come, they're yearning for something better. But us, so often, I think, me included, I, I am satisfied with what I have. With what I have. Like, I, I, I kind of think, how can it get any better than this? I have a nice car, and I have a nice home, and I have a wonderful family, and, and we have wonderful food to eat. We can go out to any restaurant we want. We can, you know, go on any vacation we want. We'll be paying for it for a while, but we can do anything that we want. And, and it's like all at our fingertips. And I think, Sometimes that ease of life blinds me to my need for Jesus, but also to the surpassing greatness of Jesus and to what and what He has provided for me in eternity to come. As good as this is, it pales in comparison to what is going to be. And we must be careful to hold each other accountable and not let ourselves get blinded to that and to hope and to continue to hope for what is to come. Um, So 
as I, as I process that, I think that's really, that is really kind of important in our kind of context. And I've mentioned this before, but um, we have everything right here in Hershey. Um, we have like so much. And yeah, we can look at other people. We were mentioning Jeff Bezos and youth a few weeks ago. He's like the owner, he did Amazon, started Amazon, richest guy in the world. Like, of course he has more. But like, don't compare it to that. Like, we have so much, so much. And um, it's easy to allow that stuff, I think, to take a place of importance over Jesus and for us to just give Jesus lip service rather than actually giving him our hearts. And um, if we're really to be the people that God wants us to be and to live the life that he wants us to live, I think what, what, we, what we need to be sure of is that Christ has to be most important to us. Everything else has to be a distant follower in regard to importance. And all those things then that follow can only find their value in light of Christ. When that happens, then rather than keeping all the money that God has given us, we want to give it away. Rather than just, we get a nice new car and rather than just wanting to keep it to ourselves, we want to use it to bring him glory. You know, we get an education and rather than just using it to provide for ourselves, we're saying, okay, how can I use this to bring God glory? Like, everything finds its value and direction in the light of Christ. And that's, wh- that's where God needs us and wants us to be. And if we're struggling to let go of so- if we're struggling with something and it's importance and, and it's, it's kind of vying for importance with Christ, then we need to be just willing to, to discard it, to shudder it, to, to, to jettison it and, and hold on to Christ and let go of it. Because He is most important. Paul goes on then to tell the Colossians in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and, and who also told us about your love in the Spirit. And Paul says this is happening everywhere. People are believing in God and God is blessing them with faith, love, and hope. And every place where the gospel is proclaimed, it bears fruit. Everywhere it is preached. Everywhere it is preached. And um, every time it's preached, this miracle happens. It bears faith, love, and hope. Just as it did when the, the Colossians were brought the message of Jesus through Epaphras. Um, and... Um, that is really special um, and I think very instructive for us. Sometimes, anybody ever get nervous to share your faith? You don't have to raise your hand, it's okay. But I do. Like, I get freaked out and I'm a pastor. I'm like, what is this person going to think about me? How are they going to respond to what, what I'm sharing? Are they just going to shoot me down? Are they going to malign Christ? Are they going to malign me? Are they going to talk about me behind my back? Like, what, what, what is, are, are they just not going to believe? I, I don't know. I just get really, really nervous. And um, it's interesting that Paul here is telling them that, you know, everywhere, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And why? Because people are sharing it. Just as it was shared by Epaphras with you, 
others are going out into other parts of the world where people are very far from the Lord and they're sharing it with people who have never heard of him and this miraculous thing is happening. They are believing. And why are they believing? Is it because they have faith? No. Is it because they have hope? No. Is it because they have love? No. It's because God is supplying those things so that people can believe. That's what I was saying earlier on with that as I was talking about this faith, love, and hope is that they're, they're gifts from God. They're not something that we muster on our own. And so a, a miracle happens when someone believes. God goes before it and somehow opens them, predisposes them to receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a miracle. We can't explain how that works, but we know it's true because we see it happening and, and we experienced it personally. There's one really specific thing though that has to happen in order for, for people to receive the, the, the gospel, and that is for us to go out and share it. Like People actually had to take the gospel and share the gospel. Epaphras had to go out and do that. Um, and we have to do it too. We have to do it too. And so Paul writes, he goes on and encourages them, and he says um, how he prays for them. And he, and he writes this, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul desires that this gift they've been given to continue to bear fruit. He doesn't want it to stop. He prays that they will continue to grow in knowledge as the Holy Spirit instructs them. And I think this is really important. Um, we, we need to remember that um, they didn't have the benefit at this point of a New Testament. Many of them probably didn't know the Old Testament some of them had probably never, maybe had never been exposed to the Old Testament. Not totally sure of that. But they certainly didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have Bible scholars that were readily available through Google that they could consult, or commentaries like with from Bible scholars that they had written all about the Bible sitting on a bookshelf. Like they, they didn't have some of the benefits that, that we have, yet they continued to grow in the knowledge of God. And we have to ask ourselves, well, how did that happen? Well, it happened, one, because people like Paul and Epaphras went out and preached, but the bigger thing that was going on is that the Holy Spirit was moving in their lives to help them to know. As they gathered as believers and they taught, the Holy Spirit was in that, because together we are the temple of God. I'm a, I fear sometimes that in 21st century America, I or we maybe rely more on the commentaries and um, you know the Bible scholars and the YouTube videos that we can watch um, and all the books that we can read than we do on the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that those things are unimportant, but that they shouldn't be consulted. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. But what I am concerned about is that we use them and crowd out the influence of the Holy Spirit over our study. And that's to our detriment. Because as little as we can muster faith and as little as we can muster hope and as little as we can muster love, we are just as powerless 
to muster the ability to comprehend God without the power of his Holy Spirit. And that doesn't happen in isolation either. I was talking with Mickey about this earlier this week. A large part of that happens as we are gathering as believers and studying his word together. That's just how he has designed the church. So, um, so Paul prays, he continues to pray for these Colossians to that, to that end, but um, he also prays this in verses 10 and 11, he says, I pray so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great power or great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. There's a lot in that section, and I am like completely out of time. We still didn't get to those other two verses, but I think what we're going to do is end here. He said, I don't want us to miss it. In verse 10 he says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Think about, as we close, Think about the greatness of our God. Think about the fact that He has never sinned. He has never done anything wrong. That He has the power with but a word or even simply a thought to create from nothing. Think about the fact that He is not, ju- he is, he is not in time. He is presently in the past, in the present, and in the future. Th- just think about how great he is, how marvelous he is, how majestic he is, how, how much higher above us th- than he is. And then think about what Paul challenges the Colossians with in verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. How are we, such small and frail people, ever, to please God. I think it goes back again to the fact that God gives us what we need to do what he has called us to do. God gives us the faith. God gives us the hope. God gives us the love. God gives us his Holy Spirit. It's only when we are being strengthened, as he says in verse 11, with all power according to his glorious might that we are able to do anything of value for the Lord. So I guess here's, here's where I want to leave us today. Um, we're about to embark on this eight-week journey in our, our community groups starting this week. Um, one group starting tonight, another is starting on Thursday. And um, my hope is as we go through this, we, um, we're not going to work through the book of Colossians. We're going to do a different study in those groups, but they complement one another. My hope is that through both of these times, we will get a better view or a better picture of the supremacy of our God, Jesus Christ. And my hope is that you will be a part of one of those groups because it is impossible for you to get the fullness of that picture of him on your own. You need one another to most fully and appropriately understand who God is. You can't do that 
by yourself. And you can't do that just sitting here on a Sunday morning. We must have each other where we can dialogue with one another and bounce ideas off of each other and allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak through this person to, to that person. Like it's, it's like a community deal. There are no individuals in the kingdom. We don't lose our individuality, but we can't remain individuals to become what God wants us to be. So I want to encourage and challenge you, if you haven't already signed up for a community group, to do that. Because without it, we're not going to be able to as fully grasp what Paul wants us to grasp through the book of Colossians. The supremacy and the grandeur and the majesty of Jesus Christ. But with it, we will get so much closer and be so much better positioned then to continue to bear fruit for our God who deserves us to do so. So next week we're going to pick up uh, where, where we left off and we're going to continue through the book of Colossians. And uh, tonight and Thursday we're going to begin our, our um, community groups and we hope that you can be a part. If you haven't signed up, you can do that online or you can just speak with me or Scott or Jackie or Chad and we'll get you connected with one because uh, we would love to have you be a part of it. But as we close today, um, why don't we go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to provide us with what we need so that we can bless him this week. Father, we, uh, we thank you. Um, I, I really thank you um, that what we do is not about being smooth or flashy, um, that um, it's just really about blessing you, about coming in here with a heart to love you and to serve you and to honor you um, in purity and, um, and you, Father, getting that, um, whether it's kind of like a, a rough grind of the wheels or whether it's really smoothly kind of charging along, um, whether I get all my thoughts out right or, or we're like all kind of clicking, um, you, Father, just seem to have a way of blessing us when our hearts are engaged in the process. And so we thank you for that this morning. I thank you that as much as I've said, Father, you can say more through the power of your spirit and through the truth of your word. And so, Father, we pray that what we studied this morning would not stop here, but it would continue to be carried with us as we leave this place today. And, um, Father, we pray that we could continue, as Paul prayed for the the Colossians, to bear fruit and and to to bless you, um, Father, with the lives that we lead. Um, as you give us what we need to do that, as you give us the faith, as you give us the hope, as you give us the love and everything else so that we could bring you glory through the lives that we live this week. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do and all that you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd invite you to stand with us as we close our love.
by saying this in verses 13 and 14, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When Abraham was stopped from taking his son's life as a sacrifice to God, God uh, basically uh, said to us, that is not going to do, but I, appre- I want your heart. And you're giving me your heart. That sacrifice is not going to do, but what I'm going to do is many, many years from now, provide for you a son that will do. And that's what Paul is getting at in those last two verses. What we can't provide for ourselves, God has provided for us. Not a sacrifice that will just last for a moment, but one that will cover over everything and will provide for us not just a life here, but a life in eternity. May you go and bless God by blessing one another and by sharing Him with those who are far from Him. God bless you. Amen.